I love how honest the Bible is, how unedited it feels as it peels back the heart and brokenness of those who are in the story that God is telling. And for me, that the Bible's honesty is refreshing because it's so different from how we typically tell stories about ourselves. Because when we tell stories about ourselves, we want to look like the hero. We want to look perfect. We want to look put together. We want our, our lives to be filtered so that our audience thinks that our lives are better than they are. We pretend on social media that everything's great, that we have the perfect family, the perfect kids, the perfect everything. We present the highlight reels of our life and expect people to believe it's the whole game. But we know that's not true. Because of sin, because of brokenness, it's not true. Highlights, mountaintop experiences are only one part of this life. And listen, I hope We have wonderful, happy times with our family and our friends. I hope the good in our lives far outweigh the bad. But because of that reality of sin that we talked about last week, we know that there will be difficulties, seasons of difficulty, years perhaps of difficulty. And we don't like to talk about those seasons or years. But church family, we must. We must talk about these difficult moments in our lives, in our families, to make sure that we are finding hope in the right places. To make sure that we are setting our hearts on the right things as we deal with the brokenness of this world. And the next part of Joseph's story will help us this morning have this kind of honest conversation. Because Joseph's family was really messed up, really messed up, full of sin. And the messiness is all over the pages of the book of Genesis. And this morning, as we focus on the dynamics of Joseph's family, you may see some things that look very familiar. You may be faced this morning with a reality from your past or your present as we look in the mirror of Scripture. But I want you to hear me this morning that there is hope for your future because God is at work. Here's a testimony from Joseph's story that I hope will encourage you today, a truth that we can cling to as the people of God. There is no family. Turn to your neighbor and say, there is no family. There is no family beyond the reach of God's grace and purpose. Not one. If that's true in Joseph's story, it can be true of your story. It can be true of our story as a family of faith. No family beyond the reach of God's grace and purpose. As we did last week, I want us to begin this morning with a little bit of background to help us understand the thrust, the nature of what's happening in the second part of Genesis 37. Again, Joseph's family had a lot of issues. But for our purposes this morning, I want to pick up just with the story of Jacob, Joseph's father. You may remember last week that he was also called Israel because in reality, the issues in Joseph's family stem from Jacob himself as the head of that household. The brokenness in the family of Jacob is a reflection of Jacob's brokenness himself. From the moment of his birth, Jacob is described as a deceiver. 
We see that in Genesis 25. And he lives up to his name early in his life. Because right after that description of him, in Genesis 25 to 27, we see Jacob doing these things. He buys the birthright of his older brother Esau. In coordination with his mother Rebekah, he deceives his father Isaac in order to receive the blessing that was properly given or should have been given to his older brother Esau. He was deceptive. He operated in a way to make his own situation better at other people's expense. And later in the story, we see Jacob himself falling victim to deception. At the hands of his soon-to-be father-in-law, Laban, Isaac sends Jacob to, a, to uh, his uncle's household to find a non-Canaanite wife. He says, go to the household of your mother and find a wife there. So uh, he goes, he goes. And as he arrives, he is taken by the youngest of Laban's daughters, whose name was Rachel. And he says to Laban, I will serve you seven years in order to marry Rachel. But when the seven years are over, he does, he serves seven years. When the seven years are over, on the night when they are to be officially married, somehow Laban sneaks in the older daughter Leah into ja uh, to Jacob, and they are united in marriage instead. And Laban tells him, hey, this is our custom. The younger daughter can't be married before the older one is, so I'm giving you two daughters instead of one. And then Jacob has to work another seven years as he also marries Rachel. So he has two wives, but it's clear to everyone whose wife or who, which wife is the favorite. Everybody knew that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And all of this is important backstory for what takes place in the life of Joseph. Because the same sinful tendencies we see on display in the life of Jacob early on are present in his family. There's ungodly favoritism on display. There's deception and bitterness, all of which boils over into our story today. You see, the brothers of Joseph didn't simply hate him because of their father's action toward him in a moment. They didn't just hate him because Jacob gave him a coat. That certainly played a part of it. No, the bitterness was far deeper. They were embittered by the way their father treated their mother, Leah, always preferring one wife over the other. He did not hide his preferences well among his wives or his children, and the seeds he sown bring about their tragic fruit in our passage today. So let's see the fruit of these actions and the escalating brokenness of Joseph's family in verses 12 to 36 of Genesis 37. Here's what the word of God says. Now his brothers went to pasture their flock near Shechem. And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock and bring word to me. So he went from the valley of Hebron and came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? Joseph said, I'm seeking my brothers. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they've gone away. I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And they saw him from afar, his brothers did. 
And before Joseph came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. And in the language of of Hebrew, that word there is like master dreamer. Oh, here's the one who thinks he knows everything about dreams. Here's the one who's been given dreams by God is telling us that we're going to bow down before him. Come, let us kill him and we'll throw him into one of these pits. Then he will say, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. And he said this, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to the brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him in a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing gum, ball, myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, hey, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Let's sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him. He is our brother, after all, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianites trader, they, they passed by, and, they, and the brothers draw, draw uh, Joseph up out of the pit, and they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. Where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat. They dipped the robe, in blood, the, the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father, saying, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robes or robe or not. And he identified it. He said, This is Joseph's robe. A fierce animal has his garments, has devoured him. Joseph is is likely torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins. He mourned the loss of his son many days. His son's daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, as we engage this story, I do want to take a minute and remind us of something we discussed last week. We need to, as Christians, we are expected to read Joseph's story with an eye toward the greater story of Scripture. So we're going to deal with Joseph's story in particular this morning, but we also want to discuss how his story informs our story, but more importantly, also points us to the greater story of Jesus. But let's begin by unpacking Joseph's story. And there are four parts to his story that I want to call our attention to today. Part one, Joseph is sent out by his father to check on his brothers. The father of Joseph sends out his beloved son to check on his brothers. And this action by Jacob or Israel is important because it sets all of the events in our passage in motion. Now, this is not the first time that Joseph has been sent to check on his brothers. We learned last week in verse 2 that he had already done so and brought back a bad report about his brothers to their father. And his brothers knew that he brought a bad report about them to the dad. 
And yet his father sends him out again to Shechem to see if his brothers are well and to see if the flock is in good shape. And Shechem is an important place here. Because earlier in Joseph's story, a terrible incident took place there involving Joseph's family. In Genesis 34, Dinah, who's the daughter of Jacob and Leah, is sexually assaulted at Shechem. And the brothers avenge her, killing a whole lot of people, creating tension in this region. So there is reason for Jacob to be concerned about his brothers and his flock. So he sends out Joseph. And what's striking to me, though is that this sending of Jacob as a father shows an an incredible lack of awareness. As the head of his household, he has no idea about what's happening within it. None. He takes no precaution to protect his beloved son from himself and his brothers. It's amazing to me that he's he's aware of the tensions among the tribes that could be present because of what happened in Genesis 34. But he's not at all aware of the tension that is right under his nose in his own home. And it also seems like Joseph is painfully unaware of the dynamics of his relationship between him and his brothers. Not only does he naively tell his brothers about the the dreams God had given him, he also wears the very coats that Jacob gave him as a symbol of his favor that has spurned or, or sparked even more hatred in the hearts of his brothers. He wears that to go out and to check on them. All of his ignorance, willful or not, sets the stage for what happens in the rest of the story. But what's clear is that Joseph is being sent out by a father who has no idea what's happening. Now let's look at a second part of Joseph's story here. Even though the father sends him out, not knowing the whole dynamics, Joseph is obedient to his father's will. What the father asks of Joseph, he is obedient to accomplish. The journey to check on his brothers is not an easy one. Again, Shechem, they don't love Joseph's family. But what complicates things is his brothers aren't even there. They're gone. Now, there's no map quest. There's no car. He's just journeying around looking over fields, trying to figure out where his brothers have gone. Now, in God's providence, there's a stranger there who tells him where to go. But even he's not saying, hey, the second mound in Dothan, there you'll find your brothers. He's still got to go look, and he does. And there are very real dangers as he looks. I mean, this plan the brothers devise, I mean, there's, there's an actual possibility that he could be eaten. That's why they think about it. And yet, in spite of all the challenges, in spite of all the dangers, Joseph remains obedient. And he finds his brothers just as his father asks. Thirdly, the third part in Joseph's story is that we see him being rejected by his brothers. The brothers see Joseph coming from a distance, again, because he's wearing that coat. And they begin to plot his demise. And and this plotting is what gives the most substance to our chapter. We see they first want to kill him. They want to kill this brother. But they are led in verse 21 and 22 away from this initial impulse by Reuben, the firstborn. 
He suggests they just throw him in a pit. And the Bible tells us he's doing this to rescue Joseph later and and return him to his father. Now, this is somewhat the responsible thing to do for the oldest brother. Surely the brothers shouldn't kill one of their own. And there's actually an advantage here to Reuben because he had fallen out of favor with his father because he slept with one of his concubines. Again, really messy situation here. And I think he hopes that if he brings back the beloved son, that the father will forgive him and allow him to take his place once again as the firstborn in the family. What he should have done is remove the plan altogether. What Reuben should have done is said to his brothers, that's ridiculous, there's no way we're going to do any of this to our brother. But he didn't. He wanted to deceive them. Where do you think that impulse came from? Because he wasn't honest, because he didn't directly confront the sin at play, his plan is thwarted by another important figure in our story whose name is Judah. And we see in verses 26 and 27 that he says, hey, we're not going to make anything if we just kill him or leave him to die. Let's sell him into slavery. And they do just that in verse 28. What's striking to me about the rejection of the brothers is their indifference toward Joseph, the, the, the level of hatred they have in their heart. Look at verse, let me find it, 25. Right after the brothers strip him of his robe, they take him, they throw him into a pit that was empty with the intention of leaving, them, leaving him there to die. What is it that the brothers do? Now, by their own testimony, in chapter 42, we know that Joseph is crying out. He knows he's about to die. He believes they're going to murder him. He is begging for his life. And what are the brothers doing? They sit down to eat. Isn't that insane? That's just the level of bitterness that has taken over their heart. His cries for their life don't even affect him. them. That's how much they hate their brother. That's how much they've rejected their brother. And after they sell him into slavery, then they go back to that plan to tell their father that Joseph has been eaten by an animal. They deceive their father, these brothers. That's the fourth part of the story. They deceive their father by telling him that Joseph has died. They take the robe, tear it, cover it in blood, and they don't even have the nerve to take it themselves. They send it by a servant. And their father is overwhelmed with grief. If the brothers thought that the favor that Jacob showed to Joseph would be shown to them in his absence, they were sorely mistaken because he is now closer to death because of the thought death of Joseph. He's overwhelmed with grief. In some ways, the fault of the brothers, in some ways, his own fault. Now, this story is tragic. It's filled with brokenness, Jealousy, hatred, deception, indifference. It's a clear picture of the messiness of sin and how the messiness of sin can show up in our families. And it's meant to teach us something about our own stories, about our own brokenness. There's a lesson here for us to learn about how to deal with our families in a faithful way, in a way that I hope brings honor and glory to God. Let me just offer a few lessons for us in our own story from the story of Joseph. There's certainly a lesson here for fathers. Fathers, as we 
hear the story of Jacob, there's a reminder for us today that we are to know the condition of our families. We are not to be absent or unengaged. We are to be present and active. That's how we shepherd our families well. That's how we lead our households. Jacob neglected his household and rot set in. A couple years ago, Jordan and I bought a house here in Raleigh. And while we loved the house, there was some neglect. There were some places where water damage had gotten really bad around a window seal and into the foundation of the home. And, you know, you can't always see this until you start putting away or peeling off the sheetrock. And when we did, the window pretty much fell out of the back of our house. We had to have sections of our foundation repaired because there was neglect, damage, rot from years of water eating away at this wood. Thankfully, it's fixed today. But how many of our families could be described like that? Years of neglect and rot has set in. Jacob chose to favor one wife over another. Yes, he was deceived. There was a covenant there. And he chose to favor one wife over another. He chose to favor one son over many others. He chose to give that son a coat and set him apart without any regard or any consideration for any of his other children. He did not know the conditions of his household, and it caused him and his family enormous grief. So fathers, and I'm, I want to speak intentionally to fathers here. That's not to diminish the role of mothers or to those of you who have single-parent households. But the Bible is making a clear call to fathers through this story. Fathers, love your wife well. Hopefully you only have one. That's God's design. So love her well. Love your wife well. Show your children how much you value your wife and how much you love their mother because your children are watching and they see that. Love your children well. Fathers, be present. Don't play favorites. Don't even joke about favorites because you have no idea what kind of seeds will be sown in the hearts of those kids as they listen, believing there's a little truth to every joke. Yes, our children are different. Yes, they have different personalities because God designed them that way. And although different, they are all made in the image of of God, and they need to know and experience the love of God through us. The way we love them is supposed to be a reflection of how God loves them. And does God show any partiality toward us? He does not. That cannot be present in our households either. Children are a gift from God that are meant to be stewarded for His glory. Our job is to help guide them in the midst of all of this brokenness, not add to it in their life. Fathers, love your families well. That's certainly a lesson we can take away from the story of Joseph and Jacob. There's also a lesson here for children. And we're all children, right? We got here somehow. It's kind of scary how much influence parents have over their children. Because there's evidence of influence, both positive 
and negative in the lives of these children in our text. It's amazing the impact that Jacob, as a father, has on his children. Our children look to us. They need certain things from us. They, they need knowledge, understanding, validation, encouragement, love, and discipline. That's the expectation that God has given us as parents as we steward these children. And sometimes parents do not meet the expectation. Sometimes we fall flat. Sometimes we fall flat for a number of years. But can I offer just a biblical truth to all of us children in the room? This is an important thing because I think there are still Children in here, even if you're 70 years old, 80 years old, there are still children in this room that are walking around with scars from the past. Let me offer you a word. The failures of your family may affect you, but they don't have to define you. Let me say it again. The failures of your family may affect you, but they don't have to define you. Look at Joseph, right? If you, when, we, when we get to the end of this passage, or in the end of this story, Joseph's story, you're going to be amazed by his faithfulness, his steadfastness in the, the worst of circumstances. And if you didn't know the backstory, you would read this story and think, man, that Joseph, he must have come from a great family. For him to act like that, man, he must have had the best parents. Wrong. They're terrible. I mean, they're, they're not perfect. And yet, even though Joseph is affected by the actions of his parents, he is not defined by them. How is he defined? He is defined by the fact that God is with him. That God is with him. And that's what defines. In fact, the actions of this family are providentially redeemed by God to help Joseph accomplish his purpose. So let's dive into this just a little bit more because I'm hoping that some of you in this room are going to find freedom today from some baggage you've been carrying for a long time. You do not have to continue the sins of your father and your mother. You don't have to. They may affect you. There may be temptation there because you've seen it. It's been birthed in you. But you don't have to. You don't have to continue what Jacob continued from his mom, his father. It was clear that Isaac preferred one son over the other and that Rebekah preferred one son over the other. Is it a surprise that that shows up in Jacob's life? It's clear that Jacob prefers one wife over another and he prefers one son over another, creating all kinds of tension. But Joseph didn't have to carry that over. He could be different because God was with him. And he was. You don't have to have jealousy and bitterness stay with you. You can, you can be different by God's grace. So if there are some things that you're struggling with, caring because of the family dynamic you grew up in, just know that there is hope for you to get rid of that today. And let me also say a word to those of you who were in really, really tough situations. Again, really affected by the actions of your parents or the actions of a broken family. Can I just encourage you today to take the first step of forgiveness? That's a a major part of Joseph's story is that he gets to a place of 
forgiveness. And if you want to get to a place in your life when you're not defined by the brokenness of your family, you acknowledge the effect of it, but you don't want to be defined by it any longer, you've got to take the first step of forgiveness. It's not the only step. It will not fix everything. But it is the first step. And Jared, you may say, Jared, you don't know what my family did. You don't know what my dad did. You don't know what my mother did. I don't. And there are levels of brokenness and depths to sin that would shock many of us. But what I do know, what I do know is that the forgiveness that we can offer in Christ supernaturally is also surprising. Would you this morning, would you this morning as a child walk forward in healing by offering forgiveness? That's also a lesson that I think is present in our text. And finally, I think there's a lesson for our family of faith, our church family, because we are a family, according to Scripture. And the health of our family of faith is an extension of the health of our individual families, the health of our individual households. And the dynamics that are in play in individual households can also come into play in the household of God. Did you know among the people of God, we can begin to play favorites. We can become jealous. We can let seeds of jealousy turn to bitterness that turn to hatred to the point where we want to murder someone with that kind of hate. Think about the church in Corinth. They're fighting jealous over spiritual gifts. They're combating each other over which leader is the best. Division, discord can come in the, in the same way into the house of God that it shows up in our own households. And in the same way we must guard our families, we must guard this family as well. Honestly, I have seen everything that has taken place in this passage happen in churches. Everything. Did you know that at one time in our history, the Christian church history, we murdered each other? We did. We burned people alive at the stake. We must strive to not let bitterness, jealousy, envy, or hatred get a foothold in our fellowship because the results are dangerous. The results are destructive. Our faith family can divide and we can lose our, our witness our distinction, our saltiness for the sake of the gospel. But let me also remind us that the only way we can walk in this kind of unity, freedom, restoration, forgiveness in any family is through the greater story of Jesus. And that's where Joseph's story is ultimately meant to point us. Only in Christ can we find this kind of rest and let's think how even just this one section in the second part of Genesis 37 helps us understand the story of Jesus in better ways. Like Joseph, Jesus was sent by his father to check on his brothers. Jesus left the glory of heaven, not just Canaan, to come and find us, to check on us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of a dangerous place where there are enemies surrounding us. And he came to allow us, to offer us the return, the possibility to return to our Father and to the greater land of promise that awaits. 
And as Jesus came, he was perfectly obedient to the will of his Father. Every part, whatever difficulty came his way, he never wavered. The law of God, the plan of God, Jesus did it. He declares to us through the witness of John's gospel that his food was to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. He never wavered. He never strayed. He was faithful as the favored son. And when Jesus came to check on his brothers, he was rejected by them. He came to us, to his people, to the people of God, and he was rejected. And he came clothed in something greater than a robe. He came clothed in the glory of God. His brothers knew he was from the Father, and yet they still rejected him. He became flesh and dwelt among us, allowing us to behold the glory of the Father full of grace and truth. And yet in spite of that enormous blessing, because of the temporary threat it posed to their power and their privilege, they rejected him. More than that, they actually murdered him. Little did they know they were being used providentially by God to bring about his purpose. And this is where the story turns a little bit. Because God, as our Father, is not surprised by any of this. No, our Father, the Father of Jesus, who sent him, knew everything that was going to happen. He knew the condition of his people. He knew what would happen to his son. And he sent him anyway. He's not surprised. He's not deceived. Everything that happens in the story of Jesus was meant to happen. Listen, our Heavenly Father is not neglectful. He's not absent. He is present and providentially working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God knowingly sends his son to die by the hands of his brothers so that they could be saved. So that we could be freed from the brokenness of this world and invited into a new family of faith. The kind of rescue we need, the only place to regain the favor of our Father is in the Son. He's the only true refuge for us. He's the only place where forgiveness can be found and extended. You see, Every horizontal relationship issue we have is ultimately a reflection of a vertical relationship issue. It's our, it's our brokenness with God. That, that disconnect we saw take place in Genesis 3. Our sin created a, a brokenness between us and God the Father, and, and that brokenness affects every other relationship. Well, friends, the only way that the relationship with God is fixed, is in Jesus. But here's the beautiful promise of the gospel. When that relationship is right, when we step into forgiveness, the forgiveness of Christ, when we're restored to relationship with God, it allows us the opportunity to walk in right relationship with everyone else. In Christ. In Jesus, our most important relationship is mended, our eternity changed, and it allows 
for other relationships to be mended because we have been forgiven much, haven't we? We have been forgiven much. There is nothing that we could do to one another that outweighs what we have collectively done to God. And I realize the implication of when I, when I say nothing. I realize the, the depravity that can be described in that word. There's nothing that we have done to one another that is greater than what we have done collectively to God, and yet God made a way for forgiveness so that we could walk in forgiveness in Jesus. Will we allow the story of Joseph, the greater story of Jesus, to guide us as a people as we seek to live faithfully for the glory of God? How can we respond this morning? Let me just offer a few responses from our text that I think the Spirit is leading us to this morning. And the first response, I think, is a response of repentance. As we talked about last week, our brokenness is on display all throughout Scripture. It is certainly on display here in this text. You may identify a lot with what's taking place in Genesis 37. Because what was true of mankind then is true of mankind today. We can be neglectful in our families. We can be consumed with jealousy and, and bitterness. We can seek to destroy people because they have what we want. But if we are in Christ, can we also agree that none of those feelings, none of those emotions, none of those actions have a place amongst the people of God? And so if you're a father today and you've been absent, you've been working too much, You've been working so hard that you get home and you just want to disconnect. You want to watch Netflix or get on your phone or watch sports. You just want to go outside, not spend time with your wife, not spend time with your kids. Do you know the condition of your home? Is there rot setting in that you need to engage with? Would you just put that before the Lord today? Ask him to help you lead well as he's called you to. Those of us that are a part of the church, do you see what's in the hearts of these brothers in your own hearts? Is there jealousy creeping in? Is there bitterness toward other people or maybe even toward your parents? Maybe parents You've got some children who are holding some grudges against you and maybe you've got bitterness in your heart toward them. Could there be some forgiveness, some repentance today of that, that seed? Let me also say to any of you in the room who would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Listen, the brokenness that is in your life and every relationship that you're a part of, it will not be resolved or fixed until the ultimate relationship is fixed between you and God. That can only happen in Christ. The only way you can step into the favor of our Father is in the Son, Jesus. And maybe you need to repent today unto salvation by confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because that relationship affects your eternity.
Is it right before the Lord? Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here. We'd love to speak with you, pray with you if you need that. And then living and then moving from repentance, can we respond with forgiveness? Having received the forgiveness from God, can we just begin to extend forgiveness toward others? Maybe the Lord this morning is calling you to forgive a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister, a son or a daughter. Maybe you've got some bitterness in your heart because they didn't act the way that you thought they should or the way that God said they should. Would you just bring that burden to the Lord today and ask him to help you walk in forgiveness? It won't fix everything, but it's the first step in finding restoration, in finding healing, in allowing the gospel to define how we respond to relationships, not our broken humanity. Remember, those actions, they don't have to define you. They may affect you. They don't have to define you. And some of you may be saying, Jared, you don't know the depth of what I went through. You're right. And if you need help working through the sinfulness that you experienced, someone did to you, we wanna help you. We can put you with the right people. We can get you to the right places. If you will, in your heart, led by the Spirit, take the first step by saying, I want to walk in freedom and forgiveness. We'll walk with you if you need that this morning. I just wanna give this word of encouragement to you. If you will bring that brokenness to the Lord in Christ, he can speak a better word over you that you certainly want to be defined by. Thirdly, would you pray? I think we should be struck by the way that sin can eat away at a family, and we should pray. We should pray for our families. We should pray for the the fathers in this room as God has asked them to lead in their household. We should pray for the parents in this room, recognizing the effect that we have on our children. We should pray for faithfulness, gospel-mindedness. We should pray for our family of faith, knowing that bitterness and jealousy can set in here. We should pray for protection, Asking God to allow the gospel to drive in God, God, everything that we do for his glory, that we would truly be a kingdom outpost, that we would show everyone around us what it looks like to live as a people under the grace of God where the things that normally would have divided us, the dividing walls of hostility have been broken down in Christ. We're not gonna hold grudges. We're gonna hold high the grace of Jesus Christ. And finally, let's rejoice. And certainly, friends, as we, as we think about the work of Jesus through the lens of the story of Joseph, we should rejoice in the provision that Christ allows. Think about this. The work that we had to do as a people, the work, the lessons that we're learning to be, to be fathers and to be children and to be in right relationship with one another, We don't have to do that in our own strength. We can't do it in our own strength. But praise be to God, it's already been accomplished in Christ. And we can do this in his spirit and his strength. 
He, he left the better Canaan to come to us. And even though we rejected him, even though we murdered him, he has acted to save us. Can I just also give you a, a word of future hope here? And the future that Christ is preparing for us even now? You know, it's possible, the sad reality possible, that some relationships may not be fully restored on this side of eternity. But did you know, friends, there will not be a single broken relationship in heaven? If we are in Christ, we will live in eternity in perfect fellowship with our Savior and with one another. And won't that be a glorious day? Wherever you are, do you bow your heads? I know this is heavy. But call these things to mind and have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. Our Father loves us always. He always extends us mercy. New every morning. And he is faithful. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Father in Jesus? If you don't, let today be the day of your salvation. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers in the front. We'd love to encourage you, pray with you. That's the first step. You gotta get that relationship with God right in Christ. For the rest of us who are in Jesus, do you need to repent this morning of neglect, jealousy, bitterness? You can pray where you are, come talk to us. The altar's open, you wanna come pray up here? Do you need to forgive? Do you need to take a step of forgiveness today? Again, we'll help you if you need it. Would you pray for our families, for our family of faith? The Lord would protect us. And would you rejoice? Because God is working all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose he can redeem anything and has for his glory and our good Father work amongst us we pray help us to be a more faithful people because of our time before your word today we pray in the name of Jesus Amen Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf for more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.